Well, church, we're in a brand new series titled Under the Influence, where we're learning what does it mean to live under the influence of the Spirit. And we recognize that the Spirit isn't some impersonal force that we harness and control, but the Spirit is God's personal presence with us and for us. You know, when something dwells, it takes up residence. It inhabits and it shapes the environment in which it's found. And if we're going to live under the influence of the Spirit, then according to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, we must allow the message about Jesus to dwell in us. But this isn't only an individualistic call. It requires the entire church community together practicing habits of express dependency. And what's the result? Lives shaped by what dwells within. That's the result. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the story of redemption, your work of grace through Jesus, your son. And we thank you how, for how that story has defined our story. We pray that that story would, would dwell in us, increasingly shaping us as a people. We trust you to guide us by your spirit as we explore your word today. Put your finger on areas of our lives that need to change. Now, lift our eyes to see you for who you are. Fill us with encouragement, inspiration, joy, courage, conviction. All these things, Father, for your glory and for our good. Amen. Three things. First, allow the message about Jesus to dwell in you. Second, through habits of expressed dependency. And third, allow the message about Jesus to shape everything about you. So first, allow the message about Jesus to dwell in you. Now, it's important we recognize we are dropping into the middle of a letter to the Colossians. So this is the twin or the sister letter uh, to that of the Ephesians. We spent some time in the letter to the Ephesians last Sunday. And, and these two letters would have been circulated between the two churches. It would have, would have been read in their corporate worship gatherings. Now, we're eager to discover what it looks like to live under the influence of the Spirit. That's what this series is about. But it's important to us to recognize that when we talk about living under the influence of the Spirit, we're talking about God's presence with us and for us. To live under the influence of God's presence and power. And in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, which we read last Sunday, it talked about being filled 
with the Spirit. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And instead of saying be filled with the Spirit, here in Colossians 3.16, Paul says it this way, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And it makes sense. A Spirit-filled life is not a subjective feelings-driven life. It's a life rooted in the objective truth of God's word. Now, feelings come with it. Emotion comes with it. But the more we allow God's word to dwell in us, the more influence the spirit of God will have over us. So when Colossians 3.16 mentions, let the word of Christ dwell in us, what does this mean, the word of Christ? Well, in Colossians 1 verse 5, Paul mentions to the Colossians the word of the truth, the gospel. So he speaks of the word. Instead of saying the word of Christ, he says the word of the truth, the gospel, the good news, which is about Jesus. Verse 25 of chapter 1, he speaks this way, to make the word of God fully known. He goes on to talk about it this way, the mystery hidden for ages. What's this mystery hidden for ages? The way God would redeem his people, both Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews through the finished work of Jesus. And so I I think it's safe to conclude when he mentions letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly that this is the message of the gospel with its emphasis on Jesus. The work of God the Father through his Son to redeem. Let that dwell in you. Now what does it mean to dwell? To live. To abide, we could say, or to stay as a permanent resident. 2 Timothy verse one, or chapter 1, verse 15, Paul talks about faith dwelling in Timothy, dwelling in him. In Romans 8, verse 11, it speaks of the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwelling in those who by faith trust in Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, it speaks of God dwelling in his people. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly richly, abundantly, overflowingly, in a deep, meaningful way, leading to transformation. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, the letter to the Colossians is an extremely Christ-centered letter. It's one of my favorite letters or epistles uh, here in the New Testament. I go to this frequently, and I encourage um, you, if you're, if you're new to Christ, if, if you've recently put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to encourage you to read a gospel. So read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Just spend time with Jesus there. And then after that, jump into Colossians. It's four chapters long. Spend time in the book of Colossians. It just, it holds high the breathtaking vision of, of Jesus, of who he is. He is the image of the invisible God. It highlights Jesus' supremacy and sufficiency like no other book. It holds him up high as creator, redeemer, and sustainer of our lives. I need Colossians. And what he's saying is this. Paul is, is saying, let the message of what God the Father has done for us in Jesus, his son, let 
That message about his coming to live and die and be raised to life, and this includes his claims and his teachings, who he is, what he's accomplished, what that means for your life here and now and in the future, let that message dwell in you richly. In other words, he's saying don't move away from that message. Don't don't give it a superficial head nod. Don't keep things on a surface level when it comes to that message. Dive deep into the wonder and the beauty of that message. That's what he's saying. So let's look at the context. Back up with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is speaking of their new identity in Christ, their union with Christ by faith. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, But Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. This is the context that this exhortation to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly comes. It's important for us to understand the context. Paul is explaining to this church, the Colossians, that they have a new identity in Jesus and that they now find themselves in a new culture, a new way of life. In other words, the story of Jesus, the word of Christ, has redefined their story completely. Now, culture. Culture involves attitudes and behaviors characteristic of a particular people. But in this case, the Apostle Paul is saying of a particular person. He's saying, your new culture is Jesus. Imitate him. Live in a way that reflects him. This is sounding a lot like Ephesians 4 and 5, which we were in last Sunday. The same type of exhortation. And he's saying, this new culture of living in a way that reflects Jesus, it comes with new clothes. Well, most cultural movements do. Uh, Verses four, 5 through 11, he says this essentially, your old clothes don't fit anymore. That's what he's saying. Put to death these things. Take them off. 
Verses five through six, action is called for. In other words, he's saying, look, you used to live this way in in the ways that he listed out. You used to live this way, but now put them away. Take that off. Throw it out. It doesn't look good on you anymore. It doesn't fit. Have you ever tried to fit in the clothes that don't fit anymore? (laughs) You're just fooling yourself. It doesn't fit. Ask your spouse. Ask your best friend. Be honest with me. Does this fit? These clothes don't fit you anymore. Verses 12 through 17, he's saying, your new clothes are laid out for you. Put them on. They belong to you now. Now, who, who buys new, new clothes and just you hang them in your closet, put them in your drawer, and you never wear them? You don't do that. You buy them, you're excited, or if you get them as a gift from someone who really knows your style and <laughs> wants to bless you, not just from like your mother-in-law or something, but I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I have a mother-in-law. She's looking out for me. She stopped buying me clothes. She's like, here's the gift card. Um, Your new clothes are laid out for you, is what he's saying. Your new way of life is before you. Put them on. Put it on. Walk in this. Here is the new pattern of behavior that you're meant to walk in. And the article of clothing that is most important, this all-purpose article of clothing that you need to wear is found in verse 14. Love. Put it on. Wear it. Never leave without it. You don't go outside without pants on right? Please say that, yes. Please say you don't go outside with pants on. Um, Don't leave home without love. It binds everything together. It's the glue that holds everything else that he's been talking about together. And then he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. In other words, let the peace uh, of Jesus settle the turmoil or the fear and the unrest. He's in control. Now, these are beautiful exhortations, and we can spend a lot of time in these, just alone, but we can read this list of things we're to put off and the way we're to live, patterns of behavior we're to put on, and we can agree with these truths and and still be embarrassed to find so little difference between the way we live our lives now that we know Jesus compared to when we didn't, if you're honest. We all experience struggles with sin. We all experience struggles with personal failures and worry and anxiety, outbursts of anger and lust, unforgiveness, perverse speech. I'm not alone in that. I said we all, and I mean it. We all struggle in those areas. So how do we walk this out? Verse 16. Oh, we can easily miss it. We can easily just read it quickly and lump it in with all the other exhortations. We can easily move away from the message that's meant to dwell in us. If our story has been transformed by the story of Jesus, we need to keep that story before us. He's saying in verse 16, allow the message about Jesus, the one that has transformed you completely, to take up residency. Allow that message to dwell in you, in your midst as a community to have its way in your life. Number two, we do this through habits of expressed dependency. It's important to note that this isn't only an individualistic call. It requires the whole church community together practicing habits of expressed dependency. Now, when we come together 
listening to the word of Christ, bowing to its authority, when we come together teaching and warning and encouraging one another, admonishing one another, we practice habits of expressed dependency that lead to the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. That's what's happening here this morning in this corporate gathering. Tanya gave an exhortation rooted in Isaiah, the prophet. Caleb shared what the Lord is working in him and through him. Parker and the others led us in worship, songs of praise rooted in the story of Jesus. Trevor led us in communion where we celebrated the beauty of what Christ has done for us to reconcile us to God the Father. We're doing it. Maybe you prayed with someone this morning. Maybe you gave them a hug and shared a word of encouragement. We're talking about an indwelling that occurs through the habit of gathering with other followers of Jesus. We're talking about an indwelling that occurs through the habit of listening to God's word proclaimed and taught and explained, bowing to the authority of God's word, celebrating its beauty. We're talking about an indwelling that isn't, all, it isn't at all restricted to Sunday gatherings. Not at all. Now, we want that to happen here in our Sunday gatherings, but imagine what would happen if when we gather, however we gather, wherever we gather, whether it's on a Sunday morning or in a house group or a discipleship group or one of our uh, big meetings, a discipleship big meetings, whether it's men or women or a one-to-one conversation that we're having over God's word or whether we're sharing a meal together, what happens when we gather? What if we were eager to practice this, to teach and admonish one another? because this is a shared responsibility. I have um, a unique responsibility here as pastor, as one to hold high and proclaim the scripture, uh, the word of God, and, and to preach, to exhort you. But we all have a shared responsibility to teach and admonish. Now, what does teach and admonish mean? Speak the truth of God's word. That's what teaching is. Admonishing is warning about the danger of straying from the truth. And it could involve some gentle rebuke, encouragement. So there's teaching the truth, and there's warning about straying from the truth. And this is something we're to practice together. Doesn't matter how long you've been in Christ. Doesn't matter how long you've had your faith in Jesus. This is a a shared responsibility. But the effectiveness, I believe, of our time together is impacted by our personal private time in God's word. So our time in God's word personally, just us and the Lord, is one of the main tools that the Spirit uses to help us live in a way that honors Jesus. Do you have personal private time in God's word, like daily? Is this a habit of expressed dependency that you're practicing individually? It equips us to do what we're called to do corporately. You see, when we're spending time in God's word individually, we carry it with us. We, we have something to say. We have something to give. And I'm always surprised at how the Lord uses my time, my personal time with him uh, to encourage others. Something I've read that comes out in conversation, something I've explored or something I've heard preached or something I preached like okay here it is the spirit's using this for me to encourage my brother or my sister 
the Lord also uses it to shape us. We need to decide what we're going to do when it comes to reading God's word, placing ourselves under its authority. What are you going to do? It won't just happen. How are you going to do it? What book of the Bible will you approach? How will you approach these 66 books? And then when will you do it? Look, my practice is pretty simple. I try to get up before the rest of the family does. I have a cup of coffee and a bowl of cereal. And I'm reading wherever I am, wherever my little blue tab tells me, wherever I left off. Right now, I'm in Psalms. I just wrapped up Job. That was harder. That was a harder read, but I needed it. I needed Job. And now I'm in the songbook of the Bible. I'm just learning so much. I've read it many times before, but it's, it's, the Lord is using it this time through in, in some special ways. And I'll also dip into other portions of Scripture, but that's, that's my habit. And so I'll read for 15, 20, 25 minutes, uh, finish breakfast, put it down, ask the Lord to shape me and to continue to, to use me, to fill me for the day ahead of me, and then I'm on my way. It's, it's pretty simple. What are you doing? What are you doing? 15 minutes, 20 minutes, one chapter a day, spending time in God's Word, submitting to its authority. However we approach it, let's approach it with... Uh, a relational mindset. These aren't just words on a page for us to kind of, in our minds, all right, check, I checked that off, read another chapter. No, this is God revealing. This is God speaking. And and will we come to God's word when we read it with a willingness to be shaped and changed, to encounter the living God? This is God's chosen means to make himself known. Think of it that way. It reminds me of my first snorkeling trip many years ago. When I first broke the surface of the water, what I saw absolutely blew me away. The colors, the fish, the coral reef, a whole world just opened up to me. I saw a sea turtle, and I followed it away from everyone else, and I got freaked out. I'm like, oh my goodness, where's everyone else? This sea turtle's leading me astray. He's going to kill me. No, it was, it was breathtaking. It was beautiful. And when I resurfaced, I realized there's a whole world under the surface of the water that I didn't know really exists. I mean, I saw it on TV and this sort of thing, but, and I wouldn't have seen it had I not put on these goggles. And as we approach God's word, as we explore the word of Christ, the message about Jesus, it's like this vast ocean experience full of beauty and majesty, and we're invited to jump in to break the surface to view the beauty of who God is in the person of his son through the lens, through the goggles of God's word. And the more we jump in, the more we look, the more beauty we behold, and it shapes us. It shapes us. Another habit of expressed dependency besides teaching and admonishing one another is singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's what Colossians 3 tells us. You know, people have tried to delineate three specific categories of songs. Try to learn what the early church was, was doing in their corporate gatherings. Okay, we're going to sing psalms, we're going to sing hymns, spiritual songs. What, what do we do with that? Spiritual songs, I don't know what. So there's a lot of ideas out there. But here, here's what it really comes down to. What's clear is that there are a variety of songs that we're to sing and that it's not at all restricted to one form of song. That's what's clear. And that the songs that we sing 
hold high the truth about Jesus. It's truth that we desperately need to hear. Desperately need to hear. You know, I've, I've been in some situations before that I, I wouldn't prefer to be in. I mean, I, I, they're broken and sad situations where people are passing away um, in the hospital due to, to various things. And I remember gathering with a family when a family member was, was going to pass soon. And this is a young family member, uh, way too soon. And um, a grandfather looks at me, and we had known each other for years, and he said, Darren, the whole family's gathered in this room around this girl. He says, Darren, do you have a song? I took a breath. I said, yeah, I have a song. I don't know if I'm going to make it through it, but let's sing it right now. We sang, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives. Right? When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, here's what we do. Upward I look and I see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. I didn't make it through the song. Lots of tears. But we all lifted high our voice that day that she died. I sang that same song with a man who was in his 90s. He was about to pass, and he was struggling. He said, I haven't done enough. I haven't done enough. And I think it's, it's in moments leading up to death and in the midst of dying that we can begin to struggle and, and, and fear and question but God's bigger than our doubts and our fears in those moments. And so I sang to him that same song, just sang it into his ear. I thought, this is a song, the type of song I would want sung into my ear if I was dying. These songs become a way to keep the message about Jesus on repeat. These songs that we sing is not entertainment. Oh, it can be entertaining. Depends on what's going on, right? It's not about a concert. It's not about an event. We want to play with excellence so as not to distract. The, the musicians, as they play, worship with their instruments. Oh, but the, the words, they matter. The content of these songs, because we carry these songs with us. They're like many sermons we carry them with us. They teach us. They admonish us. They instruct and they guide. They protect. They inspire. They encourage. And the church, followers of Jesus, have been singing songs since the beginning. These songs are meant to help us let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Some believe that Colossians 1 verses 15 through 20 was a song or a poem. I'm going to walk through this song. Um, the first half declares Jesus supreme over all creation. The second, how Jesus makes us new creation. Makes us new creations by faith in him. Now, look with me in Colossians 1, verse 15 through 20. Verse 15 says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Wow. Okay. And in verse 15 also says that he is the firstborn over all creation. In Scripture, the firstborn has rights. 
that no other uh, person in the family does. It it talks of his authority. This doesn't speak of the beginning of Jesus. He's always been. The firstborn has rights that no one else does. It speaks of his authority and of his supremacy, his preeminence and his power and rule over all creation. Verse 16, Jesus is creator of all things. All creation owes its existence to Jesus. Verse 17, Jesus is eternal. He has no beginning and will have no end. Jesus holds all things together, verse 17. Verse 18, Jesus is the head of the church. When I say church, I'm talking about the new creation, those who are found in Christ Jesus, those who by faith look to him, the people of God. He's made us new. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. It speaks of his supremacy over death itself. He possesses resurrection life, and he shares it with us. Verse 19, Jesus is the place of God's presence and dwelling. And in verse 20, the whole universe, material and spiritual, will be reconciled to him. And he has made peace by the blood of his cross. Now that's a song to sing. What would happen if that song was dwelling within us? What would happen if the truths of, of this song was just like dwelling in us like deeply? If we kept meditating and thinking about celebrating these truths, here's what would happen. An overflow of gratitude that looks like what Colossians 3 tells us, thankfulness in our hearts to God. Now the heart is the center of a person. It's the control center of our life. That's the idea of the word heart here. Not just this organ beating in our chest, It represents the source of our will and emotion and thoughts and affections. Think control center of my life, the center of who I am. And so out of that, out of the center of my being will flow gratitude and songs of thanks and praise to God. Why? Because the message about what he has done in his son Jesus is dwelling richly in me. And so it produces like this enthusiastic praise and wonder a combination of deep reverence and awe and unspeakable joy that comes out in songs. And eventually it spills out into all of life. We're talking about being filled with the Spirit. We're talking about letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. They go together, Spirit and Word. Word and Spirit. Don't divorce them. They go together. As we dwell on the work of God through his son, as we allow it to dwell in us, we're walking filled with the spirit. Number three, allow this message about Jesus, you know the one that dwells in you? Allow it to shape everything about you. Look with me again at verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The idea is that we move forward in life. In word, what we say, And indeed, what we do, doing everything in the name of Jesus. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Everything? Everything in the name of Jesus. What does this this mean? Everything in dependence on Jesus. Everything recognizing his authority over us, mindful of the call to be his representatives. A life under the influence of the Spirit will be a life under the influence of King Jesus. So to do something in someone's name, it represents everything that is true about that person. 
It represents and it recognizes the power and the presence of that person. And in our case, the person of Jesus. The power and the presence and the person of Jesus. So this is an an invite to live a life that says, I'm going to do this in your strength as your representative. Everything that I do, in your strength as your representative. Now it's hard to think that all the time. But we should be asking in moments like this, can I do blank? in your name, in the name of Jesus. Can I do, you fill in the blank, whatever you're doing right now, whatever you're saying, can I do this in the name of Jesus? See, verse 17, it it can help us. It can help shape us. It It should help shape us as followers of Jesus. It becomes the lens through which we should view everything, the filter through which we should run our words and our actions. Can I do this in the name of Jesus as his representative and in his power and strength? Can I do this? Whatever it is. So before we moved into our house, about five years ago, I I was installing fans, putting up light fixtures, I I was hanging art, um, and that really transformed the house. But it wasn't until the family moved in that the house was really transformed. It was evidenced in the laughter and the love and the joy of my family's presence. Now, when the word of Christ dwells in us richly, there will be evidence of its presence in our lives. It will have an influence. We will live shaped by what dwells within us. What if this isn't happening in your life? Where have you said, maybe not with your words, but with your actions, this far and no more to the word of Christ? This far and no more. Where have you said that? What if maybe you've been in the faith for some time, but it feels like a disconnect between what you know is true of Jesus and how to live your life? What are you allowing to dwell within you? Is it the word of Christ? Maybe you've known these truths, but you don't know, you never knew about this, like letting the word of Christ dwell in me. How do I do this? And you're learning it for the first time. Are you ready to give the message about Jesus the room that it deserves in your life? Why are we so centered on the message about Jesus here? I hope that you've seen that. We we can call it gospel-centered. We can call it Christ-centered. We're holding up high the beauty of who Jesus is and what he's done. We're, We're holding on to his claims and his promises. We're celebrating his presence and his power. Are you ready to give the message about Jesus the room it deserves in your life? Are you ready to let that message shape you? I'm talking about everything, from money to sex to relationships to what you watch to how you speak, how you treat your neighbor, your coworker, how you lead in your workplace, how you give yourself uh, to your schoolwork, everything. Are you ready to treat it, the message about Jesus, as the treasure that it is? Are you ready to acknowledge it as the defining story of your life? That your life and ours as a church community would increasingly be shaped by what dwells within us, the message about Jesus. The more we allow God's word, and in in particular, that message about Jesus to dwell in us, the more influence the Spirit of God will have over us. Where do we begin? What if we begin with a simple prayer? 
Father, I, I want the word of Christ to dwell in me richly. In me personally and in, and in my church corporately. Would, would you help me to see the part that I play? The responsibility I have in private to, to dive deep, to go, to break the surface, to be in your presence through your word, and then to bring that into corporate gatherings, to teach and admonish. It's going to stretch me, but, but Lord, would you use me in this way? And as I do that, I know that the word of Christ will dwell in us richly more and more. That's a good place to start. Lord, that's our prayer. Do that, we pray. Amen. Amen.